0: Welcome to another episode of The Riff. Um, as always, we are joined by Cameron.
1: Hey guys, how's it going?
0: And this week we've got a very special guest um, to come on the show. Uh, longtime listener, Stuart Ayres, member for Penrith. How are you? I'm
1: good. I so want to say longtime listener, first-time caller, but I'm actually here on the podcast. It's a bit so it's not bit like different. I've dialed the hotline to get here.
0: It's just great you're a long-time listener. Yeah. So Stuart, as the member for Penrith, a state member, not many people out there actually would know what being a state member of parliament entails. Can you tell us a little bit about what your job is and how it works?
1: So first and foremost, I'm the local representative for the state electorate of Penrith. Uh, As many of your listeners would know, uh, three tiers of government, a federal tier of government, a state tier, and a local government tier. Uh, So I sit in the middle of that. Um, The Penrith seat's got about 55,000 constituents. It runs from sort of Cranebrook in the north of the Penrith area down towards the M4, picks up Kingswood in the east, and it goes into the lower mountains, picking up sort of Glenbrook and the... Blacksland towards Blacksland.
0: So that's a lot of people.
1: Yeah it's a fairly sizable chunk of uh, terrain to cover. Um, 55,000 voters probably about 70 odd thousand people maybe a little bit more than that now. Um, there'd be 26 public schools and non-government schools on top of that around the electorate so those types of services are a key important part of what we do and the state level of government is heavily focused on public services so health and education makes up over 50% of the state budget. And that's where we spend a lot of our time, making sure that those services are are delivered to community members. We also are the primary funder of transport services in New South Wales. So things like roads, rail, uh, bus services are all funded out of our uh, area as well. And on top of being the local representative, um, of which there are 93 in the state parliament across the entire state, I'm also a member of the executive, which means I'm a minister. uh, And my portfolio responsibilities are called Jobs, Investment, Tourism. And Western Sydney, and I sit in the Treasury cluster. So there are three ministers that operate in that area: the Treasurer, myself, and the Small Business
0: Minister. So you have a lot of spare time, is what you're telling us. Yeah, really I've got just plenty of
1: time just to laze around.
0: Yeah, just always really join the European River kickback.
1: Um, option to get him on the podcast today you know he just strolled in and was just yeah like, uh, he just was do- he was up
0: to nothing so we just got <laughs> and said hey let's let's keep you busy
1: i was literally uh, leaving a cafe and these yeah, two people yeah, physically
0: grabbed him off the street no so you're representing quite a large number of people and especially probably with the ministerial portfolio you're looking after those portfolios for the entire state from what you're telling me so it's not just you're looking after jobs and tourism and everything for penrith it's jobs and tourism New South
1: Wales. Yeah, that's correct. So in the Westminster system of of government, which we have here in Australia. Ministers are members of parliament. So that's different to what happens in the United States, for instance, where members of the Congress are separated from the executive, where ministers are often called secretaries in the United States. So we have to do effectively two jobs. We've got to look after our local constituency. And if we're lucky enough to be asked by the premier to be part of the ministry, um, then we have to do that on top of our local member role. So in a um, you know, politically marginal seat like Penrith, um, you get pre- stretched pretty thin. Uh, but I've been doing this for almost ten years now, and lots of things are happening around Penrith, and the portfolios keep going from strength to strength. So I think we're probably doing something right.
0: So maybe for the listeners who aren't as politically savvy, a marginal seat essentially means what to you?
1: Yeah, it just it just means that the elections are tight. Uh, so you have areas of New South Wales and Sydney that are quite strong liberal areas or quite strong labor areas. Um, outer Western Sydney and Penrith is, is what people would call a swing area. So it changes its vote. Um, and that's That's pretty much reflective of the fact that this is a pretty centred socioeconomic community and the more centred those communities are, they tend to uh, respond to the policy positions of of each government and they move their vote around to reflect that. So this is one of those swing areas and you see both at the federal level and at the state level areas like Western Sydney where there's that concentration of quite centred socioeconomic status tends to be the areas that determine whether elections are won and lost by government.
0: So... With respect of your portfolio and having that um, entire constituency to also look after, you'd be needing to engage with a lot of the community to get their opinion. So um, on a daily basis, how would you actually be engaging in terms of community liaison with your constituent mm-hmm. base? What, what does that actually look like for you? Do you door knock or do you just call people up or how does it work in more of a big scale picture?
1: Yeah, so it's pretty diversified now in the in the, what you might describe as a modern political world. Um, you still do a lot of street-level activities, everything from street stalls at local fairs to talk to local residents to quite sophisticated public communications engagement, particularly through portfolio areas that might include um, direct mail, it might include um, public forums, it might include survey work that's done by departments for... Um, Testing community sentiment around particular issues. Um, one that's a real focus for us at the moment is really leveraging the Aerotropolis, which is the area that's around Western Sydney Airport. Um, and we know over the last 10 to 20 years, the public sentiment towards the airport has changed significantly. If you go back to the mid to late 1990s, the airport wasn't strongly supported by the public. Now it is. And that's largely, in my view, because of the public's ability to appreciate the economic uplift or the economic benefit that comes from that. And also a lot more people travel, so they understand accessibility to airports and how that becomes important to them. And so we want to be able to continue to engage with the public as that airport's delivered, as the economic opportunities around that airport materialise so that people in Western Sydney still understand and can feel and see the economic benefits of that significant investment. And it's uh, it's over $5 billion in its own right, the airport from the Commonwealth Government, and that's leveraged around $20 billion worth of additional uh, infrastructure from both the state and the Commonwealth and things like road and rail. So every time we talk about busting congestion and improving traffic and uh, adjusting to communities as it grows. That's a really tangible example of what we're doing there. And then the ultimate objective is to try and create more jobs closer to where people live in Western Sydney because we still have quite a disparity around the volume of people that live in Western Sydney versus the amount of jobs that are available. Now, that gap is narrowing, uh, but the public rightly want us to accelerate the, the way that gap narrows, and that's part of my job. In today's world, Stuart, would you say that you also engage with the public from a social media perspective as well? Oh, no doubt, no doubt. No, no, social media has easily shifted to become the most dominant form in the way you directly communicate with people. Um, And it has its pluses and minuses, as I think is a a general assessment for social media across society. Um, It creates much more immediate contact with people. It allows them to provide feedback in a more immediate way. We can distribute messages directly to the public so it doesn't have to be edited or filtered by media outlets who may choose to run particular parts of a story but not other parts of a story, yep. particularly where... Well, you see increasingly the the blend between what is opinion and what is news. Um, so our capacity to shoot a one minute video on Facebook uh, to tell people exactly what we've done today or what we believe are the impacts of a policy decision become really profound. and so you have to work across those different mediums and then you also have to be able to filter um, the stuff that comes back at you some of it's of some of it's good and you know, some of it's, not it's probably rubbing.
0: Or it can or it can be really supportive. But it's all feedback.
1: Yeah. And I think the the general question for society is and one of the things I try to do, the way I manage my own social media is still communicate to people on social media the way I would is if I was standing right in front of them. Yeah. Of um, and I think that's a basic principle, you know. The first thing before you type something on your keyboard or on your iPhone pad, ask yourself the basic question, if this person was standing yeah. in front of me, would I say this? That's right. Uh, that filter would probably would probably help a lot of people interact on social media
0: being criminal and family lawyer i can tell you that that's something that i i reiterate daily
1: when we spoke about defamation remember the exact same exactly
0: exactly so
1: we've now figured out Stuart, what the community wants what's the next step what happens from there well i think there's a combination here of of leadership as well as responding to community needs because we always want our leaders to be a little bit ahead of where the community is taking them in that direction Um, And if you think about things like airport, it's a really good example. You know, for a while, community leaders tried to stop the airport, um, and then there was this transition where people recognised perhaps the community was changing. But before the community tipped over, say, the 50% in support mark, you needed political leadership and community leadership to say, hey, I think my community would benefit if this was actually developed. So you you it's not always just about knowing exactly what the community wants. It's also having a really clear idea around the direction that you want to take your community. And I think public service is still about leadership. We talk about people in politics being community leaders. We talk about councillors and federal MPs being community leaders. And it's the same on the sporting field. You know, the person who's the leader of the team is the person who goes and makes something happen. And I think that's what we still want out of our political leaders as well.
0: Just as a slight segue, um, being the member for Penrith, um, very quickly, who do you support in the NRL? Yeah, I'm a I'm a Panthers fan. It's probably, good, yes, probably, good, yes. good, good. We've got a room <laughs> full of Panthers fans. I know. I yeah. know. No.
1: Dan's just yeah. staring at us. See, then, the
0: only person not a Panthers fan on this podcast, um, and we will out him now, is Dan. He's not with us today but he is unfortunately an Eels supporter.
1: Yes, well, Dan, wherever you are, I'm glad you're not in this room today because <laughs> we don't like Eels fans no, at this time not. of year no, when, we're, when no. we're missing out on the uh, finals action and the Eels are making it. Don't get
0: me started, Stuart. Oh, just It's still too fresh. Exactly. So. so you were speaking about being sort of ahead of the curve in terms mm. of knowing what the community is going to need in the future and how you're going to take it there. You've spoken about the airport. Is there anything else that you, talk, you can talk about at the moment for particularly maybe Penrith or... Western Sydney that has been happening that takes us ahead of the curve?
1: Yeah I think that the big shift that's happening at the moment is the way our economy is changing which really will have a significant impact on the types of work that people will do so and there's a sense of what is what was old is new again and how we can leverage the things that we've been good at in the past and you know add things like skills or technology to allow us to be competitive not just in a local in economy but also in a in a global economic sense. So a big focus for us is about taking the manufacturing industry that has been a really important part of Western Sydney over a long period of time and no doubt if you look at eco- any economic data manufacturing has contracted in Australia. Our our thinking now is say well how do we how do we get manufacturing moving again and to do that we've got to look at things like advanced manufacturing, the principles that exist in things like industry 4.0 and for all your listeners if you haven't heard that Google it, it's, it's a good read and it really talks about how the technology is really changing the way manufacturing is taking place um, and the Premier and I were just recently in the UK and Europe where there was a strong focus around trade and investment opportunities bequ- between the UK particularly post Brexit uh, as well as Uh, the European Union once again post-Brexit about them wanting to invest more into the Asia-Pacific region and Australia is a fantastic launching pad. We've got fantastic access to a lot of markets through free trade agreements, which have been negotiated by the Commonwealth. But for us to do that, we've got to make sure that we've got the right skills in our workforce and that we're playing towards the end of the value chain. So rather than metal fabrication taking place the way it might have in a workshop in St. Mary's or Mitchenbury or you know South Penrith, for instance, in the 80s, we want to see those workshops change to adopt to new technology. Things like three D printing, um, where you can now use three D printing to print metals, for instance. So that's the type of arrangement that we need to move our our employment towards, our our economy towards. And we should also think about ways in which we can leverage our regional um, our regional economies. So a lot of the food and beverage beverages uh, created in regional New South Wales, um, we we create much more food in, in Australia than what we use. So for us to get benefit from that, we have to export that. Uh, And we are very much focused on how we create shorter supply chains and leverage technology in things like agricultural business, agricultural activities, uh, and supply chain and logistics so that it's easier to export produce out of Western Sydney or out of regional New South Wales through Western Sydney, it's probably a better way to describe that, into markets in in North Asia.
0: So it's really interesting to see how your um, your local MP can actually your job can actually engage with the not only the entirety of New South Wales but the entirety of Australia and the entirety of the world to actually then come back and affect us at a local level
1: yeah I can I, I can say that you know in any given week I, I could have a meeting with you um, The an ambassador for a country, the CEO of a multinational business, um, mum and dad from a PNC in my local electorate, uh, a Year Twelve student writing an essay for a a, a, you know a Year Ten writing competition, um, and go and visit a local sporting ground that's just received an upgrade to its local amenities. So being a local member of parliament and a minister is probably one of the most diverse jobs that you'll find anywhere in the country.
0: So as as lawyers, as you're aware, we're in a very different uh, job from what you have just described. Um, mm. It's it's a very unlikely that I will meet with an ambassador from a different country and... Unless uh, you you they've committed to a crime. Well, I can't talk about anything <laughs> like that, can I? I have a duty of confidentiality. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Um, and so some forms of diplomatic yeah, immunity yeah, might impact yeah. that. But yeah, there's a lot of things. A, that there's we a need whole to other play play podcast there, there right? Yeah. But yeah, that's a whole other game. Um, so very different as a day to day basis of what I would do to what you would do. Um, how your job, however, affects my job is that you obviously have a say in what legislation comes about. So. Um, The best example that I can give in terms of my day-to-day life is recently there was the legislation that uh, police could suspend drivers for low-range PCA. That legislation came through and I'm presuming that there was a whole other process on the side before I then did a podcast and saw the bloke that got suspended roadside. Can you tell me a little bit about how that process occurs? knowing that you don't have crime on your mind at all times but how it works for you
1: yeah so legislation whether it's things that impact criminal codes or whether it's other forms of legislation basically the laws of the land are established in parliaments Um, so the basis in which the constitution of the state is amended or laws are adapted so that our society can function they're they're created by representatives of the public through the parliamentary process Uh, and so we have a bicameral system of parliament a lower house and an upper house Um, lower house is made up of representatives like me upper house is made up of uh, people that are elected on a proportional basis so it's a more diverse chamber and it still functions as a chamber that reviews legislation uh, so typically what takes place is ministers will bring forward legislation and prior to that legislation coming into the parliament, uh, you will often see quite a significant amount of work done with stakeholders. So that might be legal advice. It's been done uh, via engagement with departments um, around trying to improve the way the law functions, which might lead to the amendment of an existing act, or if we want to change the rules to better reflect communities uh particular views on something then we'll adjust those rules Uh, and then you do that by amending the act in parliament and then it's voted on by members of parliament often uh, pieces of legislation will come forward as a draft bill Um, that draft bill can be made public it's often uh, um, not negotiated but um, well negotiated often by way of consultation with with, um, community members stakeholders uh, people from the legal fraternity uh, that refines the bill process before it's put into parliament. Now, not everything's going to be agreed on, so you will still have debates in parliament. Then at the end of that, we vote on it. Uh, if it's voted and passed the lower house, it goes up to the upper house. And if it passes the upper house, it goes off to the governor to be signed off by the governor, and that bill then becomes proclaimed and then it's a law. And then you guys, you uh, take it from you there. You it from there. It. Yeah. yeah,
0: and then we ensure that it's that it's enforced or that it's. Hmm. Dealt with properly, depending on how. Well, that make goes. sure the public understand it. Yeah. That's true. It's also it's a matter of us to make sure that they understand that police can suspend them roadside mm. for for what I've been dealing with lately, anyway.
1: But it's also a, a r- opportunity to kind of remind people that it's a constant evolution. You know, the laws that existed in 1900 aren't the laws that necessarily need to apply today. And so it's through your experience and other young lawyers who are literally on the front line of how legislation has been enacted, the information that you pass back to your firms or back to the law society often feeds the way we think about the amendments to future Acts of Parliament. So every act gets reviewed, looked at, improved. We constantly want the Parliament and the laws that governs society to reflect the values that exist in society today?
0: So it would be a fair point to make. So, for example, and and not many listeners know this, but I'm a representative of the New South Wales Young Lawyers. We make submissions to a lot of... um, pieces of legislation that are being proposed or drafted or put through or anything like that, is it fair to say that part of the community consultation that occurs when you're considering legislation is, for example, submissions from young lawyers, maybe submissions from financial groups, submissions from anybody where the bill could be?
1: um... Yeah, absolutely. So by the time you get to the actual parliamentary debate, a lot of engagement has already happened. So it's really important for people in the legal fraternity that might be listening to this podcast and particularly for young lawyers. Don't underestimate how important your participation in that process is so you know when one of your colleagues says you know we should make a submission or our firm should make a submission or i should talk to you know young lawyers or i should talk to the law society because i've had this experience then that that adds to the body of work that allows us to keep improving the quality of legislation we put through the parliament um it's it's participatory you've got to engage in the system if you want it to be better
0: Exactly. And for any uh, listeners out there that um, are in the legal fraternity, whether it be law students or lawyers or young lawyers or anything, um, it is very beneficial to get involved with someone like the New South Wales Young Lawyers or your relevant um, lawyer overarching body, wherever you are, um, and try and get engaged in that process because it often helps to have a louder voice when you're sending a group submission um, to people like yourself who can then um, use that voice to then project it forward
1: yeah well good ministers will always be out and engaging with stakeholders the more they do that the better the quality of the work that they put forward is it's not always going to be agreed and sometimes pieces of legislation are contentious by their very nature Um, it's the reason why we actually call debate debate um, and we shouldn't shy away from that it's just as long as it's done in a respectful manner and there's a clear objective uh, when we put that piece of legislation into the parliament
0: well, um, I've certainly learned a lot from you being here today. It's always fantastic to know that um, the people that represent us are out there working very hard, and you clearly, clearly are working very hard on a daily basis. So thank you for all your hard yeah, work. Thank
1: you very much. No, it's been good to be here. I'm glad you spotted me on the street and <laughs> dragged me Drag upstairs. Drag you off, yeah. If we see you again, we're going to rope you back in. That's it, yeah.
0: that's it. We'll come in for round two. Um, but no, so thank you very much for coming. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Good to be here. And and thank you, Cameron. And
1: no, thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Stu. And
0: thanks, guys. We will see you next week.
1: Bye.